and her bed was empty. <laughs> and it was, you know, devastating. This was a close person that had helped raise my kids to be very involved in my family, and she was gone. So I went home, and I, I'm crying. <laughs> and a new woman had started working for us named Goy. And I, I said to Goy, you know, in my you know, mediocre tie. I know she is in a better place. I know she is with God. I know Laiet is, is not suffering anymore, but I'm so sad and so shocked that she's passed away. And Goy listened to me. And uh, about five days later, she, she said, can I borrow this? And I looked over and she's holding my Thai New Testament. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You can borrow it. And she told me later she was going to read it over the weekend. <laughs> because she's a great reader and it didn't look that challenging. Well, she came in on Monday and she had gotten to the part where Peter denied Christ. And she said, what's with that? I thought they were really good friends. Why did Peter do that? And it started a conversation that lasted many, many years as she uh, became a believer and for the very first time in her life knew what it was like to know that there was a creator that made you, that loved you and could forgive all of your sins. Uh, Buddhism ha is a great worldview in many ways and has good ethical system, but it's really not a religion. It's, there's no deity in Buddhism. And uh, for her, it was the first time. She said, all my life, I just kept trying to do more good than bad, but I never knew if I was ahead or behind. For the first time, I can know that I'm completely loved for who I am and forgiven and washed clean. It was an amazing thing to see Christianity through the eyes of women who had never, never, I mostly worked with women, but men too, but I uh, had never heard it before, never read those words before. So my first question for you is how do you define yourself? Okay, if you had to describe yourself, who are you? For me, I might say I'm a mom, that goes very deep. I'm a pastor. I'm a wife, I'm a lover of chocolate and flowers. <laughs> you know, there's so many sides and parts and pieces to us. Who are you? At the Wesley, as soon as I got there, they said, what are you? What number are you? I'm like, what are you talking about? The Enneagram. It turns out I'm a seven. My director is a seven. It's a very fun place where we are. We, we're not that responsible, but we have a lot of fun. No, just kidding. <laughs> You know, but often we label ourselves, right? I'm an ENTP on the Myers-Briggs, whatever. We find these ways. In Eastern culture, much more than our own culture, they uh, define your identity by the group. And actually, I was there during the bird flu and SARS, and people wore masks all the time. And uh, if you go to, well, all the schools in Thailand, you wear a uniform, and the girl's hair has to even be the same, the same two braids, the same length, or the same bob haircut. Everything is uniform. I once asked my students, my Bible students, how long do you have to obey your parents for? And they looked really blank, and they said, until they die. <laughs> And I was thinking 18, 21. You know what I mean? Very different culture. In Western culture, so much of our identity is based on the approval of others, achievement, academic or professional success, what relationships we're in. Of course, some of that ties in in Eastern and Western cultures, but it's very different because independence and who you are standing alone carries a lot of weight in American culture. For some of us also, it's about can, how good we, can we be that might be my daughter. How bad can we be? That would be my son. 
<laughs> you know, we all have these ways in which we're competing with each other. And of course, uh, social media has escalated it in a big way. How unique are we? How independent are we? Some of the quotes I'm going to use today, most of them are from Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God, which I find a super compelling and interesting look at uh, Christianity that I think is great for anybody that's considering it. Do they want to become a Christian? It's very intelligent, but also relevant, thought-provoking. And he has a chapter that really intrigued me about identity that I'm drawing from today. But he does say, uh, even if we say, I will not build my happiness or my significance on any one thing, um, you'll actually be building your identity on being independent of all others. And again, if anything threatens that, you will become without a self. And again, I think one of the dangers of not building our identity foremost on God is that it can be taken out from under us when things don't go as planned. I don't know about your life, but it has not gone as planned, right? Things happen. Good and bad that are amazing, surprises that can be wonderful or can be very, very dev devastating. He says, basically, if anything threatens our identity, we can become not only anxious, but paralyzed with fear. If you lose your identity through the failings of someone else, you can be locked into bitterness, or if it's because of yourself, you can start hating yourself. I'm not good enough. I didn't measure up. I'm not worthy. And of course, the contrast is summed up so well in this great quote by Soren Kierkegaard, who was a Danish philosopher and theologian. He says, only if your identity is built on God and his love can you have a self that can venture anything, face anything. Don't you want to be that kind of person that can venture anything, face anything? It's a huge goal, and yet I think it's reachable. I think it's reachable because we worship the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who filled us, made us, and calls us. You know, when I was, um, oh, I'll say it this way, about several years ago, um, I went through a divorce, which was very unexpected. My husband and I were missionaries. <laughs> That's not supposed to happen, right? If you really love God, you'll be good. And the truth is, I, I just couldn't get over it. Like intellectually, I could forgive him. But in my mind, I could not forgive him. I could not let go. And inside, I just still felt very bitter. And reading this chapter made me think about it. Why is it? What is it that I am at the root of who I am and my identity that can't let this go. Because a lot of his thesis is that if we allow our identity to be based on anything but God, and then someone goes against that, that we'll be filled with bitterness. And what I realized is, I think in my mind, my deepest identity had become being the mom of a happy family. And I invest a lot of time and energy and love, right? A million minutes of my life investing in my children and my marriage and feeling like that was who I was. I was the mom of a happy family. All of a sudden, I didn't have a unified group of four family, and I was devastated. Here he defines sin as seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship 
with God. And Keller goes on to even more drastically say, anything that comes before our identity coming from being a child of God, a follower of Christ, is actually worship of something else. Was I worshiping the role of being the mom of a happy family? It's a good goal, but ultimately it could not be my ultimate reason for living because it got blocked, right? Um, I'm not saying it was all his fault or anything like that, but again, life happens, right? And all these things that we did not choose take place and can devastate us and pull the ground right from under us. My brother-in-law read a book called The Scout Mindset, which I found really intriguing. I haven't read the book yet, but he said it was very interesting. But basically what it's saying is that our world has become so polarized because we see all the outward things as our identity, our political views, maybe our social class, maybe the group that we hang with, our ethnicity, these things, our country, whatever, these become uh, the things that polarize us when we differ from others and then we become very rigid about them. But the scout mindset, he says we shouldn't be like soldiers fighting a war, but rather a scout that just goes out ahead of the group to find out what is really happening. What is the truth out there? I find that interesting. So what will fill us? Our quest for identity can leave us very empty when we don't find what fills us up. Often when you're young, I see a lot of very, well, in some ways they're cynical, in other ways they're super uh, idealistic yet. You know, students, some have gone through a lot of pain, some have still had a lot of happiness in their life, and they, you know, they're very uh, optimistic about, the, about life, and life has a lot of beauty in it. But if you're like me, you know, sometimes getting what you want doesn't fill you up either, right? Sometimes you get everything you want and you're like, mm, still need more, <laughs> still a little hungry, still not satisfied. Uh, Simone Weil was an activist who grew up in a very wealthy family in France, but she identified so much with a working class person and was so concerned about their oppression that she worked at a car factory for a year simply to bond with their experience and to help speak for them. And she said, because we can't stand the God-shaped hole, we try and fill it with all sorts of other things. So my question for you this morning is what helps you base your identity on God rather than on the approval of others, rather than on your relationships, rather than on your performance? What helps you to remember that ultimately your identity must be found in Christ? Identity, politics, and race are an issue that he touched on, and I found it very thought-provoking. Keller says if we get our very identity, our sense of worth from our political position, then politics really isn't about politics anymore. It's about us. That means we must despise and demonize the opposition. And if we get our identity from our ethnicity or socioeconomic status, then we have to feel superior to the others. And if we're super proud, I probably fall into these last one, of being an open mind, tolerant person, you will be extremely indignant toward people you think are bigots. So the difficulty is how do we learn not to get our identity from all these other elements? It's very challenging 
and we do need some liberation. <laughs> we need someone or something to set us free and to say we don't have to hold so tightly to all these external things about ourselves, but instead we can choose to, um, to embrace even those that we may highly dislike, those we hi highly disagree with, those we highly have very bad thoughts about. <laughs> How do we do that? <sighs> yeah, I, I found it a little shocking that he says even the more, the more we love and identify deeply with our own family, that we might look down on others. So there's this pridefulness. Um, I realized when I went overseas, you know, a lot of people think America's kind of full of ourselves. You know, we think we're the greatest nation and it, that rubs people the wrong way. And then I knew a Korean student and he said, oh, I've lived in America and Koreans are even worse, he said. <laughs> he, uh, but the truth is we all love our family, our our place, our group, our country, right? Those are all healthy and good things, and yet they can never be things that divide us. So again, the problem of self-centeredness is that it can lead to self-hatred, bitterness toward others, and also on a social level, this ethnocentrism, we are better than you, and intolerance or demonizing even of others and other groups. And then I found this quote really... Uh, yeah, see what you think. I found it very challenging. C.S. Lewis is always intelligent and challenging, but he says this, the almost impossibly hard thing to hand over is to hand over your whole self to Christ. Raise your hand. Have you given your whole self to Christ yet? Every bit of it? Oh, I like that. Okay, I like that. That is my goal every day, isn't it? And yet there's always another piece another piece, another part of me that I haven't really given over yet. And God wants to liberate me. He says it's far easier, though, to give your whole self to Christ than what we're all trying to do, because sometimes what we're trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves with our personal happiness centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, despite this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ said you cannot do. If I am the grass field, you can cut it shorter, but you can't turn it into wheat. And I found this very unnerving. He says, if I want wheat, I must be plowed up and re-sown. Yeah. Have you ever felt that God did that to you? You were grass and God turned you into wheat? <laughs> God says, I want to change you completely. And that is the good news. And I do have some scripture in this message. And the first one is, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished. That we should be called children of God. Have you ever been somewhere that you just felt like it was lavish? I think of maybe Hawaii, right? With the waterfalls and everything is lush and green and beautiful. It's lavish. It's overwhelming. Maybe you've been a place just full of flowers, right? Blue ponnets, uh, wildflower season, whatever it might be. But God wants his love for us to be felt like that, like it's just overflowing, never ending. And why? Because our identity really is being children of God, children of God, because that is what we are. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. 
the grass field's gone. Instead, we get wheat to make that really, really good bread. My husband is a great bread maker. Possibly the reason I married him. But um, I'm in love with good homemade bread. But that wheat, we need that. And we want to be that. That fresh and healthy, beautiful thing that God can turn us into. And in the scripture that Doug read for us this morning, if you look at the middle section, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you could pick one line out of the Bible, I think that's a pretty good one about what it means to be a believer. We trust God. We stop trying to fulfill the law. Have you ever tried to just be really perfect? Tried to be really good? Tried to never mess up? Okay, even before you met me, I made a mistake this morning, <laughs> right? But the truth is, we can trust. Instead of trying so hard, instead of trying to impress others, trying to win their approval, trying to be perfect, trying to never fail. I don't know if you heard, uh, Brene Brown gave a UT uh, graduation speech a few years ago. It was all about failure and how great failure can be. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, but she's just bracing all these students for the fact we will all fail. We will make mistakes. We can't get our identity from being perfect or always pleasing people. That's not going to happen. But we serve a God who loved us and gave, to, gave himself for us. You know, my father once left a church because they told him he could not earn God's forgiveness. And after decades of sitting in churches, Methodist and others, he still didn't grasp <laughs> that God can never love you anymore and God will never love you any less. God loves you because you are God's child and he made you. So I love this idea that we can develop a deep humility that comes from knowing we didn't deserve Christ to die for us and a great confidence that comes from the fact that God wanted to intervene into human history to die on our behalf so that we could know him and walk with him. You know, after Goy had worked for me for several years and I saw her growing in her faith in many ways, she once said to me, do you know why? I came to work for you as a maid. And I said, no, I never really thought about it. I just assumed she needed the money, right? She said, well, shortly before I applied for this job, uh, I was going to go into business uh, with another woman I had known for many years, and we were going to sell vegetables at the market. And uh, Moo and I, my husband and I, had been saving money for a very long time. He was an Italian chef. He's Thai, but he, he made Italian food at a hotel. They had saved $2,000. It was their life savings. And this woman left with all their money. Devastating, right? Now they're still living with her parents. They can't have that house they wanted because this woman scammed them. She was a con artist, had done this to many people. They never found her. But Goy said to me, you know, Anne, I'm glad that happened because if it hadn't, I would never learn about the forgiveness of God. I would never know that I am his. I would never have a relationship with God at all. And that's the love of God transforming a human being more and more into his image. Is Goy perfect? No. But has she tasted and seen the love of God? Absolutely. So tonight, or this morning, just want to leave with these words. Remember, every single day, 
no matter what others say about you, no matter what bad things happen in your life, you are a child of God. You are a follower of Christ. You are his. Amen.